Hello and welcome to the SRF podcast. I'm Ollie and I'm Ben. If you're watching on YouTube, please remember to like the video, subscribe to the channel, and let us know in the comments what guest you'd like to see on the podcast next. Or if you're listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please leave us a five star review. It really does help us out. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the SRF podcast with me, Ollie Ballinger, and me, Ben Williamson. Ben, how are you, mate? Yeah, I'm good, mate. Yeah, another busy week. Yeah, living my best life, you? Yeah, yeah, I'm uh, I'm away again next week, so uh, getting busy this week. I think I'm more surprised when you're home. <laughs> when you say I'm 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 back next week, I'll be like, oh right, I'm busy working. <laughs> I know it's wild. Paul, how are you, mate? Very well, thank you, gents. Um, lovely to be here. Thank you very much for inviting us across. No worries. Thank you for hosting as well. This is very exciting. Our very first in-person podcast. So let us know what you think in the likes and comments. Paul, why don't you tell us a little bit about you and uh, and introduce yourself to our audience? Um, so I'm Paul Metheringham, um, head of operations at Bristol City. Tremendous, tremendous. <laughs> uh, a local uh, a local club for us. So what um, what is it that you do at Bristol City? So probably head of operations in terms of the academy will cover everything sort of off the pitch. Um, so just ensuring that everything's prepared for the players, whether it be travel, um, registrations, contracts. Um, Kits, just pretty much everything off the pitches. I can probably include from there food, you know, everything. You First team all the way down? No, twenty ones down. So I should say pre academy through to twenty ones. And how many teams is that? Great question. There, <laughs> it's not a trick. It's not a trick question. <laughs> so you're looking at nine teams there. Nine teams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. And that involves uh, arrange all the pre match for match officials for all your home pictures as well. Yep, so organising all the match officials, um, which are absolutely key to um, key to our programme, as you can probably imagine, um, and really enhance the players' development. Yeah, no, it's, just, it's got to be a really great environment for young people to come and referee. We were only talking before we went live that the environment here for, for young people to come and start their refereeing journey, end their refereeing journey, depending on where you are on scale, is a, a superb place to come, right? Yeah, it's a really good opportunity, I think, for, um, as you probably say, for a part of a referee's development. Um, we offer sort of development fixtures in which the referees can come along, get a first taste of um, football in a sort of a non-pressured environment, um, which that is. Or we've also got some competitive fixtures, which is probably aimed at more of the more experienced referee that can come along um, and work in a competitive environment and enhance their, their skills that way. Yeah, it's really nice. I, I've come around. Have you refereed in? Yeah, once or twice. Yeah, I've refereed once a few twice. times. I'm actually here. I've actually got a Premier League <laughs> Cup game here in the week or so's time. True, yeah. Depending on when this goes live. Yeah, I'm actually here, which is nice. And I'm getting paid by Yesra. Tremendous. Which is quite nice. <laughs> <laughs> As it should be, right? Yeah, yeah, it all works round, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, interesting to understand a little bit about uh, the day-to-day here. But you probably haven't just walked into this role. Do you want to take us back a little bit? Tell us about where your passion for the game started? Um, yes, yeah, so probably really fortunate to um, have a very supportive family earlier on who got me involved into football. I think I played in first organised football at maybe nine or ten. Okay. Um, like, just like years ago, yeah, absolutely, yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Um, so yeah, a couple of years ago, got involved in football. Um, was supported throughout. Was really fortunate to play with some very very good players um, and involved in some excellent teams. Uh, really supportive as they go through and from there um, finished playing probably mid to late 20s unfortunately due to injury 
Um, and then what? Knees, yeah. Knees, legs, everything, I think, you know. <laughs> Whole body, unfortunately, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, as you say, it was only a couple of years ago. Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. Well. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Um, wanted to stay within the game as if possible. Um, was really fortunate to be involved um, initially at SGS College. So my initial first point started when I was actually studying at SGS College. So I was in the first ever football academy there. Nice. So that's probably developed you know, quite significantly since then. How far ago, how long ago was that? That's a great question. 1997, I believe. Oh, wow. Yeah, so oh, wow. a few years back now when um, when Simon Payne's had the uh, audacity to start that. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that was, that was excellent. Um, and then obviously carried on playing, continued playing, was involved with coaching at that point. Um, and then at the end of sort of playing career, um, went back into SGS College and started working there, coaching and working within the operations department. So what was it, why football? Like, what is it about football that made you go, do you know what, this, this is going to be for me. Have we tried lacrosse, rugby, hockey? We must have done all those things at school. So what was it about football that you were like, yeah, this one's going to be for me? Um, again, probably very passionate family um, involved in football. Um, the dad really encouraged me, um, which was fantastic. As you say, you probably had opportunities to play um, other sports within school, but they weren't as prevalent. Right. Football was really kind of, um, I would say, easy to access. I don't think there's any potential barriers with football, whereas potentially other sports like your golf, your tennis are more probably slightly more exclusive sports, I think, right. where yeah, you know there's more financial cost to them. I think football's played all over the world due to that or because of that reason. Um, and just everyone seemed to play football in, in school. Um, and there was, fortunately, um, football teams set up. Yeah. So, yeah. so it's just easy to access. It's it, probably the, doesn't matter if you've got money or not, you can... Yeah, you, you, it's played everywhere, wasn't it? It was played on school greens. It's not... Um, it seems very different now with a lot of people on the computers and stuff like that. Mm. I don't see a lot of kids out playing on greens, do you? Remember but back in the day, that really, uh, like that almost leather ball with all the patches ripped off that we used to play football with, it was solid. Do you remember playing in the street and stuff like that? No. Just me? No. Do you, do you remember it? Absolutely, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like you, you could play football with anything, couldn't you? Like yeah. you, If someone didn't have a football, they'd play with a tennis, tennis ball. ball you know? yeah. So it was brilliant and there were so many organised games effectively which are not so stupid in the time, but you probably refereed them yourself. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. There was obviously disputes, arguments and points at that, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a bit of testosterone. Do you reckon they still arguing over a throw-in back then? Because obviously that's, we now know, the most important decision in the game of football. Is it a throw-in, is it? Did you? I don't remember arguing about that. No, I think it was uh, the more um, the more exciting decisions, you know, free kicks, penalties. D dubious fouls that's definitely changed <laughs> now it's right next did you ever used to play with jumpers for goalposts and, yeah, and then if it went over the post it was like a is that in is it not yeah, was no, it posted in yeah because I jumped and I couldn't touch it it was, it was definitely over How, yeah. so, and we always went with it was always a penalty to decide it that oh, was really, really like harsh wasn't it and then it goes over the middle of the jumper and now we're like is that in the post or is it in I don't it's know it's posted in is it not <laughs> tell it's me it's where heads and volleys but 
good game. Yeah, that's all you could play. Fantastic you know, game. Hours at the back. For head tennis. Yeah. Oh, it's brilliant. Wembley. Do you ever remember Wembley? Yeah. yeah, yeah that? Wembley? Yeah. 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 Yeah, 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 yeah. Literally, yeah. knockout football, never went in. I probably don't remember it because I was that bad. I was always that first, so I was always knocked out, so I was just sat watching. <laughs> I just had to go and get the ball when someone's just hooped it miles over. <laughs> that was my job. <laughs> but great games, though, really good games. Yeah, yeah. So, so much fun. So you had the bug for it after all of that, right? So absolutely, yeah. Playing in school, playing in teams, just like all the time. Every time I had a football, I wanted to be playing. Um, every time I had a, a spare moment you know, to stay away. I would always be out trying to play football, trying to be involved in football if I could. Did you ever try refereeing? I only ever tried refereeing for the school, actually. Okay. So I was in school at the, um, probably in sort of like fourth or fifth year in secondary school at that point. And I refereed quite a few of the younger games. Nice. Um, just really enjoyed <laughs> really good fun. So you did like enjoy it. Yeah, really you enjoyed it. it. Yeah, not, yeah, really enjoyed not, it. Not enough to uh, to park playing. Yeah, to to never take it up. I think you know one of the things you always kind of consider is what would you go into post career or what would you go into post probably playing, and that would either be for myself, you know, probably coaching, officiating, but probably due to injuries, I, ne- I never really got involved in officiating. But actually, it's um watching people do it now I've got the utmost respect mm, for yeah. all match officials and for the actual work that they put in um, they're coming in all weathers um, the commitment that they make to you know referee in challenging circumstances I would say um, but for the development of the game and development of the players we could not do without them they're mm. absolutely essential to the game and yeah I've got the utmost respect for them yeah. We'll have to get you on a new referees course, I think. <laughs> you, can, you can have somebody else that down the road when you're not here. Sounds good. So you then, you were talking about you got into kind of the administration of football roles. Yes. You, you haven't always been here, have you? You've been around. Tell us a bit more about that. Yes. Yeah, so started off, as I said, in terms of coaching and operations side at SGS College. Really fortunate to probably be involved in... Um, creation of the first women's team, Bristol Academy. So we were part of the first um, Women's Super League, one of the sort of founders of the um, Super League at the time. Um, so spent a couple of years involved in the women's side there, in the men's team there when they, they were into the sort of Gloucestershire County League. Um, then was very fortunate to get a role um, it, within Liverpool Football Club, okay, nice. general manager of the women's team there. Wow. Where I spent through just over three years, like really enjoyable years, some really good times there. Did you move the family for that? No, just moved across. Yeah, so yeah, literally just went across. Yeah, just moved wow. across and yeah, independently went at the time. Um, I think it was an opportunity you couldn't turn down. Yeah. Um, but as with football, you're never really sure how long it's going to last, I think. Mm. Um, you, you might you know, hit a real connection and, and go on to develop. And I've known people that have been in places for 20 years. Mm. I know people that have gone there and just not enjoyed places and come back after a couple of months. I guess that's probably something we don't really think about too much. I know referees uh, commit to travelling to games and stuff generally away at night or a few more if you're high level up. But I didn't think I realised that staff at these clubs would leave their families to take on these roles in different places. And then how that like general managers or managers of football clubs nowadays would move Elsewhere, do they take their families? Do their families stay behind? And interesting to hear that you've left the family here to go and, and pursue that. 
incredible. And there's a big mix, I think, because, um, you know, as in football, people do move around. Um, so some do take families, some do stay local within roles mm. for that reason. Um, so you do see a sort of a mix at that point. But I presume you see that with match officials when they maybe, you know, as a younger age, maybe go to university, start officiating in a different county yeah. or, yeah. you know, and move from there potentially. I think it's really interesting because as referees, we are quite um, rooted to where we live and we just travel for the day, sometimes hours upon end. Um, but like particularly players in club star, you do see them moving around. And I think that's probably because of the opportunities that football presents, right? You know, there is um, a lot of money in the game for people to go out and enjoy different experiences. I think it makes you better as a person. Like, I was only talking uh, yesterday about how refereeing different disciplines of the same sport or different sports makes you a better referee or a better umpire. So even if you, like, was saying you referee 11 aside, but you want to go and referee a little bit of futsal because the futsal is a faster game, it will improve your decision-making and your accuracy surrounding that. And then you go back to eleven side, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, this is this is straightforward. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, and I think you know, there are similarities with with coaching and and looking just moving around different different clubs. So, yeah, it is interesting. Yeah, absolutely. How does it work in terms of match officials? Because um, essentially, you know, a lot of referees will progress through the through the levels effectively, and. When they're starting out, as you say, they're very, very local, very, very grassroots. Hopefully, they're going to progress to the elite levels, and that would mean sort of you know championship or football league, and then Premier League, and hopefully international fixtures. How does that kind of develop for for, for an official as such? Yeah, it's a great question. It's ultimately down to the referee. There's so many referees that just love the grassroots. I want to travel ten minutes from my house. I want to go and referee a couple of kids' games. I want to come home or a local adults' game. Um, after that, there's the, the promotion scheme where referees have to apply to their county FA to say, yeah, I think I'm ready for the next level. They get, they get watched by qualified observers. There's generally three to five observations that will go, yeah, you're good enough for the next level. They go up to level seven, from level seven to level six. Then they do the same from level six to level five. Same from level five to level four, where we introduce fitness tests for the first time. There's generally some laws of the game exams in there as well. And then from five to four, we go up to the FA, start looking after you a little bit more because you're moving into the realms of semi-pro football. But it gets even harder with different fitness tests, more laws of the game exams, more observations. And then you keep going all the way up to wherever you want to start. Um, yeah, you get to a point that it's not really your choice anymore whether you get promoted or not. You're in that round, so you're in the top 10. They need 10 for the next level, so they're going to offer it to you. And, I don't think many people tell it now, do they? No, no, and you go through various um, uh, interview processes as well when you get up to the higher levels. Uh, but I think the most exciting thing is the, the focus on wanting to speed up the process. Like I can talk about going back to when I used to referee in the early 2000s. And, you know, it would take you the best part of the season to like even move up a level. And there's probably a really strong debate about should you push referees really, really quickly? force them up the levels, right? You know, praise them and uh, and send lots of encouragement or do you leave them at the level for a couple of years, let them build the experience and then push them 
But there's always a, a caveat to, to the approach that you take. Because if you if you don't if you push them, clubs are gonna turn around and go, well, maybe the standard of officiating is dropped. But if you don't push them, then you might find that your workforce is quite old when it gets to the top of the game. So like, you know, if you think that the average probably life of a player in football is 35, you know, I would say you can probably add almost 20 years onto that if you're looking at referees. Of course, and yeah. is that what we want? I don't know. You know, yeah. you know, do, you know um, I'm not sure I have the answer, but it is an interesting uh, debate. You've got to add into that the, the ability of the referee to be able to communicate and manage people, manage players. Do you need a little bit of life experience to be able to handle 22 people that are passionate about the game and everything else that comes with it, the spectators, the managers, the event of a game of football? I think it's challenging enough, but as you get up to the high levels, you need to have that skill set. And I don't think you can develop that if you're really, really young, in my opinion. No, there will be some outliers, yeah. but I think um, uh, I think life experience, no matter what that is, because we all play different roles, um, changes your personality on the uh, on the pitch or on the court. And I think one of the most exciting things about refereeing, and maybe it is the truth for players too, is like no referee will ever be the same. Yeah, and that's True. why we love football so much. Absolutely, I think I think it would be boring if you stick a robot in the middle. 100%. You know, it's important to have a bit of personality because it's like, uh, as humans ourselves, we react to different situations and emotions. Mm. And you can bring a player from up here to down here through a nice, pleasant smile or through a very direct glare. You know? So I think, um, yeah, I think I think it's really it's a really interesting conversation and a really interesting debate. Absolutely. Um, That's where it's really exciting. It's what drags you again to football. So you'll play... As a player, uh, as a coach, as a manager, against different teams, which have got different challenges, you come across different referees, you come across different officials. It's just really, every game is different. Yeah, yeah. There's no two games the same, which is probably what makes it so exciting. It's probably why we love it so much. Yeah, yeah, we never know what we're getting, right? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. So take us back then. So you were at Liverpool. Yes. You were at Liverpool. Then three years. Then spent the next uh, three years at Lincoln City. Um, so as academy operations manager on the men's side there um, for three years. Probably that was interrupted by COVID at that point. Um, so d- during that period, towards the end, um, I hadn't seen my family for probably sort of like nine months to nearly a year. I think um, I felt it was probably the right time to, to start looking to try and get back um, back into Southwest and back into Bristol if possible. Um, and fortunately, the, the, this role came on up. So that's where it's kind of circumnavigated, um, I suppose, in a 360 degree. Yeah, yeah, almost like Bristol. a perfect, perfect story to get you back back here in a, in a really amazing role, right? Yeah, yeah, very fortunate, yeah. And the facilities here are outstanding, right? Yeah, we're very fortunate that we've got um, some very... You know, very generous people at this football club who back us very, very well. So yeah, we've got some outstanding facilities. We're very lucky. So I'm intrigued a little bit as to how you go from Bristol, Liverpool, Lincoln. Do you go out looking for these roles? Are you headhunted for these roles? Because you've gone across the country a little bit. So how does that work? Because like, I don't think we're too familiar from sitting on this side of the fence. 
how that looks. Didn't see the rather than indeed. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. It's the same. Yeah, I guess uh, it's just a bit of curiosity then. Yeah, so generally, um, especially with Liverpool One, especially with Link One, you get a you get a phone call. Um, okay. You know, got this role available. Would you be interested? Um, like the, the the Liverpool One, to be honest with you, that I had no previous connections up there. So it was quite out of the blue, effectively. Um, they'd had a number of different uh, general managers over a short space of time, which I'd probably not realised prior to going on in there, which is quite interesting. Um, but yeah, so that was uh, really nice to be sort of asked to, to, to do that role. Um, and, and, and similar with every single role I've been sort of like asked to do, I've been, been very lucky you know, to be, to be involved in football, I think, prior to the time. Yeah, and what what would you say your highlight at Liverpool was, and then what was your highlight at Link? So I think they're probably two really different um, parts. Um, at Liverpool, there was Champions League nights, so that was amazing. Um, Travelling away with the team, um, you know, going along, and had some fantastic Champions League nights there. Um, all of the organisation, the operational sides that UEFA bring to a match day. It's next level, right? It's a completely different <laughs> level. Um, but yeah, really exciting. So you get put in some really challenging situations there, which, you know, help you grow a lot. So really enjoyed that. Um, then we had some really fantastic tours that we were very fortunate to go on. So, you know, went to South Africa, um, Africa, um, Germany, Denmark. Yeah, it was a number of different tours we went on, which were really, really good. So they were real highlights at that point. Um, and seeing the progress of the women's game, I think, through that time, um, it really did progress and it's really moved on. And it's really exciting to see where it's going now. Yeah. Lincoln, probably, as I say, very different challenge. Um, highlights for me were getting through the FA Youth Cup and playing against Manchester United, Drew May United. So that was in our first year. Really, really exciting times um, to play against May United. Um, so, yeah, it was a great experience for the boys at that point. Um, when I first went in there, we actually had Danny Cowley as a manager um, who stayed for a very short period before going to Huddersfield Town. Um, then Michael Appleton came in, and that was probably the other highlight or real highlight. It was the first team at that point. Um, recruited really, really well, um, had an outstanding season. Um, we're in the top sort of like five or six all season, managed to beat Sunderland in the, in the playoff semi-final, got to the final at Wembley. Um, and unfortunately, we were beaten by the better side on the day and Blackpool beat us in, um, yeah, went up, automatically went up through the playoffs, I should say. Um, but yeah, that was a real highlight that whole season. It was uh, really exciting times to just think, you know, we've got a real chance here. Lincoln City could be in the championship, which would have been a fantastic achievement for the club yeah, um, yeah, at the yeah. time. So, yeah, it's good to see they're still, you know, progressing and doing well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice little journey. Yeah. Quite a contrast, though, from Champions League to, you know, looking at the um, progression in the England, in English pathway. Yeah, definitely. A, a real difference in terms of that, um, as you say. Your Champions League is probably what everyone watches on television, effectively, don't they? And you know, it's the kind of part everyone really loves. But actually, the EFL yeah, and the Saturday to Saturday football, the football under the lights, is the real thing, and the passion that really yeah, kind yeah. of I fills me. I think yeah. I really enjoy that. Yeah. The um, just I, I've been fortunate to experience a little bit of Champions League 
um, for, particularly from, let's say, behind the scenes as opposed to the camera. And like my first experience was um, was bubbles. You know, it just gave you just this like all of a sudden you see what you see on the telly, like you're in it, yeah. like, and it's just like, oh wow, <laughs> you know, it's like okay, this is quite good, um, and it really is like next level, like everything, right? Like you know, right from the, the pre meetings that you have, you know, talk about anti doping, talk about um, uh, players' kit colours and everything, like it's quite a sophisticated process, but it's fascinating. I don't know what yours was like, but that was down to the ball boys colouring. So <laughs> yeah, making yeah, yeah. that sounds really stupid, but it's, yeah, again, what are the colour of the ball boys wearing? It was like really minute details, which operationally I learned so much from. Um, yeah, going through the intense detail, um, having everybody there, all the stakeholders, all the key stakeholders at these pre-match yeah, meetings yeah. were really good. Um, people that pick up on, I just had a really minute details, and that that makes such a difference to yeah. your match day and the experience. It means you just don't turn up and go, oh, the ball boys and our subs and us and the home team's second kit is all the same. We've got a problem. Absolutely, that makes yeah. sense, right? But I guess I don't think I've ever even thought about that as a thing, worrying about what color the ball boys are wearing. No. The ball people. Maybe we should probably get ball people. Yes, yeah, 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 for sure. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's fascinating, and it's really hard to. Um, it's really hard to put the experience into words. Um, the best thing you can do is go and do it. Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah. it's clear that you're reliving some memories as we talk about this and all the highlights, but there's probably been some lowlights of, of those experiences. Absolutely. There's always challenges, isn't there? I think there's everyday challenges um, from, you know, I remember first going into Liverpool, as I said, um, and within probably two weeks, I think it was towards the end of the season, we'd the, the manager had resigned, um, the physio had resigned, uh, the sports scientist gone. Um, we lost probably three or four really important staff at that point. Um, we'd lost um, a whole team of players effectively. Um, we're all out of contracts um, and the, the contracts been let to run down. Um, which is where women's football probably was at the time. They had really short contracts. Um, so you had to rebuild a, uh, rebuild a club, effectively. Yeah. Um, we, we played in a, probably an area which was outside of Liverpool. It was a real challenge to get spectators there. So like challenges like that were, were really good, but you, you learnt very quickly on the job yeah, about yeah. certain areas. And the, the support networks now, when I, when I look at women's football, are, are far more advanced than what we probably had at the time. It's insane really nowadays, isn't it? Yeah. Insane. It's so good. So good to see. I think we've got a new generation of players coming through because what they see on the TV with the women's Euros and the things that the England women's team are doing. And then to know that there's the infrastructure stuff now in clubs, I think is fantastic. Like the Women's Super League is, is amazing to watch. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah. And, and great, you know? Yeah. Great, as it should be. Like, promote the, promote the game. Sport is for all. And everyone should be given the equal opportunities to go and play the game. So um, it's tremendous. What does your um, uh, challenges look like today? Like, what is it like running uh, a club like this in your role? Just to give us like a couple of snippets. I know you mentioned it at the start, but like, what is your like things that you've got to do relentlessly on a on a daily basis that maybe give you a small bit of stress? <laughs> I think it's probably very similar to an official. You every time you turn up, you're not sure what you're going to turn up to. Okay. You're never sure what you're going into. Yeah. So 
say for example we could turn up here it's a it's a really nice facility but there's also a microclimate so effectively i'll go down the, the hill and it will be lovely you'll turn up here and there could be a couple of foot of snow really? so, <laughs> so, so effectively we had um an fa youth cup tie last year but we've tried to play it about three times um it was a nightmare um because we had snow we had a frozen pitch you know but Elsewhere, you're looking in the city, it's a couple of degrees warmer. Yeah. So you're, you're never really, you know, sure what you're going to turn up to at that point. Um, and you're never sure what, you know, what, what's going to happen on the way. There could be issues with transport. There could be issues with, with, with kit at the time. Uh, there, there's so many different challenges throughout the, throughout the time, yeah, which have been completely unforeseen. I can sort of, yeah, share details of all sorts of uh, different things that you just don't see coming, no, which, no. Are, which really, which really help you think on your feet. Yeah, yeah really yeah. help it's you develop. Skill you've got to have, right? Yeah, definitely. And probably, as you well know from officiating, I'm, you're not sure what someone's going to do, are you? No, absolutely you know? not. So, is it possible for you to have a match day every day of the week, or is there some days you don't play? There are some days we don't play, but we are a seven-day operation, effectively. Okay. Um, so. The players love matches. I think the match officials probably love matches. Um, we love a match day operation. We we absolutely really enjoy a match day. Um, and although training, I, I, I get it, is, is everything in terms of your preparation, in terms of getting everyone ready for it. Like your match day, there's there's you can't beat a competition. I don't think a competitive edge, you know, and that's really, really good. Really enjoy a match day. So just have interest then for other people that may be interested. So match day, you're under 21s. Playing Sunderland in the Premier League Cup week Monday. I know that's on the game. When does the planning and preparation for that game specifically start for the operations team? So we would be drawn, um, the Premier League Cup group stages get drawn in, I think it's July. Okay. So you start planning that as soon as you've received those kind of fixtures back in July. Wow. So you'll need to initially find the, the, the date that we can fit in, um, the timings for the kickoffs. Um, so you're liaising with the opposition club, um, trying to plan that. Um, you will then, you know, essentially look at kit colourings, have that ready to go. Um, and as it develops over the sort of months, once you've got a fixture confirmed date, it's then about organising everything operationally off the pitch in terms of paramedics, in terms of stewarding in terms of parking, in terms of, you know, everything else that's on site, because you have to be mindful in terms of, you know, we're an operation here, which we're very fortunate to have a number of teams that use this building and utilise it. So we have to make sure that we've got all of those involved. Okay, great. So we have, so we've had the fixture, you've agreed times, dates, kickoffs, etc. We, we move closer to the game. There's there's stewarding, you've sorted out everything else. Do, do you, are you in charge of sorting out the, or making sure that there's food available? Do you just have to email someone else and go, we've got a game this day and that's that? Yeah, so making sure food's available, making sure there's um, provision for spectators, whether we're going to ticket the game or not. Um, as you say, speaking to our key stakeholders in the local area, so making them aware that we've got a fixture on that evening. We've got a school just across there, so being really mindful of, of them as well. Um, We've got actually other 
uh, venues in the area, which they need to be sort of aware of it as well. So just making sure that everyone's sort of aware in the area. Um, then we get the, uh, we're fortunate under 21's level, we actually get the officials allocated to us. Yeah. So as soon as we get the um, sort of confirmation from MOAS regarding the officials, we would then contact the um, match officials and the opposition club. We would set out um, the actual confirmation to just confirm and again the date, the time, um, the venue, um, anything in particular they would need to know. So say, for example, um, who they report to on a day, who would be meeting them, where would they be parking, um, a contact number and a contact person on that day, if there were any issues. Um, we would also look to sort of cover them um, regarding if they want any additional tickets for any family members that want to come along and actually watch the game as well. I think that's a really nice thing to do. That A lot of officials will go, like, yeah, I'm at Bristol City. It's a great pitch, great venue. I can take partner, mum, dad, friends. So it's, love that. It's brilliant yeah. to do that. I, I think they should. I think it should be really celebrated for the officials, like, you know, to, to bring their friends and family. Because, as you say, hopefully it's a, a really good fixture for them. Hopefully it's a local-ish fixture for them. So, yeah, get your friends and family to come and watch you and yeah, celebrate that. That's a really good thing. Um, then it'd be talking about refreshments. So, obviously, the, tea, like the refreshments on offer prior to the game and refreshments after the game. Checking out if there's any dietary requirements from the match officials, um, the opposition teams. Um, and then just staying in contact then throughout that probably that week, just making sure we'd have popped the game up onto YesRef. Um, so the fees are upon there, making sure that the match officials have updated their expenses because um, we really want a swift payment on the day. Um, it just makes it so much easier for all parties. Um, yeah, and just staying and remaining in contact. If there's ever any weather issues, we can you know speak to the officials at that point. Um, they would have the kit colours, so if they've noticed anything regarding um, kit clashes, yeah. we can we can deal with that at that point. So it's a lot to do. I think it's probably fair. Yeah, yeah, no, and then we timed that by nine because there's nineteen. Yeah, yeah, nice. <laughs> Rather you than me, pretty I much. Think. Pretty much. Yeah. I like to think I'm quite organised, but I'm not sure I'm that organised. <laughs> it's intense, but you know, as you say, your passion for match day probably uh, make it that much better, or make it easier. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, what's next for Bristol City Football Club Academy? Like, where are you going from here? Like, because the facilities are good. Is it um, tick over mode, or is there opportunities to? to do things differently? I think for yourself, you probably always celebrate um, where you're at. So where we've come from um, and where we're to at the moment. So you, you look at that and you think, excellent, we've done very well there. Um, but the ambition is always to push on and to improve and to get better. Um, we would like to aim for Category 1. I think that's a, a real thing that we're, we're looking to push on now. Um, as soon as we possibly can. Um, so that will be making sure everything's right off the pitch um, prior to be able to go into that. So it comes into more of a seamless transition. Is that just like an application? Do you have to just meet the criteria and go, we'd like to do it, it gets voted and up you go? Or how does, how does that work? So we're inspected every year by a company called PJAC, um, who basically will inspect every single Football League and Premier League club. Um so they will do an audit on you every three years, a full audit with Bernardo's, um, which covers safe to operate, compliance and standards. 
And then you will have uh, audit for safe to operate and compliance every year, just to make sure that the uh, company's um, safe to run. And uh, from there, you'll get some action points. Say, for example, um, if a qualification is expired for a for a coach, like a first aid qualification or something like that, that you need to obviously improve or you need to um, pick up by a certain date, an agreed date with PJAC. Wow, that's um, a lot, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, so we've just had uh, come off the back of an audit actually in um, April May time, so which we passed fortunately. Each year, as you say, prior to the next year, you have to apply um, to move category status. So right. it might be three to two or two to one, as such, nice. which you're assessed upon. Nice. Well, good luck. Hopefully, you, you get there when you want to get there. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> So what, what you may have noticed, may not have noticed, is we like to end these podcasts with uh, one final question for our guests. Um, and the question, Paul, is if we give you a magic wand, what one aspect of sports officiating would you like to see change? So I think you've got a real challenge at the moment. Um at probably elite level with um, video assistant refereeing. I think that's a real tough one. I remember being um, speaking to people in Germany, actually, before it came over into the UK. Okay. And they were really against it. And they said, you, you don't want VAR in in, in English football, um, which I was like, okay, it seems pretty good to me. I think it'll be okay. And yeah, if I was a match official, I would find it really challenging um, because, don't get me wrong, you're scrutinised at that level anyway. But to have that scrutiny um, and probably not being able to explain your decisions, I think it's a real key thing yeah. for match officials because we're human. Yeah, yeah. Like we as players, we as coaches, we as staff make mistakes all the time. Do you think people would accept? If they decided to go, right, fine, come out and explain the decision after, whether they do or whether they don't, we don't know, do you think people would accept their answer? Or would it just give them more argument to go, well, he doesn't even know what he's talking about? And he's even had to, he's looked at it again, and he, he's done X, and he could have looked at the law book, and he's come out, and he still don't know what he's talking about. Do you think it will fix it? I think it would make it so much easier to understand what a referee is thinking okay. at, at that point. Um, and I know it's a completely different game, but rugby... It's completely different. Yeah. Um, like on one hand, the respect for the officials in there is is excellent, and that's what I would love to see within football: that respect to the referees, um, and also the clear communication that everyone can hear in the ground. Mm. Um, at the moment, you're you're you go to a Premier League fixture, you think you're celebrating a goal, then it's being pulled back. It's just a real. It's almost a bit of a mess to do me. You, do you remember the Women's World Cup they did it the first time that they'd go over, the, the referee would go and watch the, the video clip again and then they'd come out and then they'd announce to the stadium what they're doing on review of the, it's a penalty and then they'd go, penalty. Well, well why do you need to go, you would tell us what you're doing. <laughs> I just found that whole thing, but it, it was it was okay. It was just a bit weird for me. I, I'm not sure why I was a fan. No, agree. If we was to flip it on his head and gave the teams one challenge per hour and don't allow the match officials or the referees or the umpires to decide what gets reviewed. Do you think that would change things? 
Potentially. Um, the, the, the one thing you'd always get with this, and it would be really good in terms of a challenge, but they would do their, say a team does their challenge in the first five minutes yeah. and it was borderline. And then they have an absolute um, really controversial decision five minutes later. You would then say, we want two challenges, we want three challenges. <laughs> yeah, and it would just yeah. continually go from there, I think. And then we, 10 years' time, we've You'd got be, 400 yeah. challenges again. So it was constant, wouldn't it? Yeah, As you yeah. well know from officiating. Yeah, yeah. 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 So it'd be really frustrating. Tremendous. Uh, Paul, look, firstly, thank you very much for hosting. That's a good time. Um, it's, been, uh, it's been excellent. I uh, really enjoyed chatting uh, in person and finding out a little bit about um, you and your role because, um, as I think we said offline, it is really interesting understanding what it is that you do. Because you know, you're not necessarily always in front of the camera. You know, nobody sees what goes on, what makes these wonderful games and spectacles happen. So it's been interesting. What about you, Ben? Yeah, it's been great. I think it was interesting what you said um, around. If it's better that no one knows I'm here. If you know that I'm here, something's gone wrong. Um, I think we'll probably take that into refereeing a little bit as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, everyone sure. says if the ref, if you don't see the referee, referee's had a good game. And my argument is, well, does that mean the players have just played football? That's, Nothing to do with the referee. It's actually the players' fault. Players have played football. The referee didn't need to do anything. No, 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 no. Come on. The role of the referee or the umpire has an impact on the way the players play. I agree. To some extent, of course, it is. The first five, ten minutes, we, do we not want to say, we'll let the players play? And if they get on and play football, we don't need to do anything. Because sure. the role of the referee is only to make a decision when the two teams can't. Sure, but I don't believe for one minute that my personality or your personality <laughs> doesn't affect the way that those players play the game. It must be because I don't have a personality. It's really interesting you say that, guys, because when I'm talking to the coaches after the game and we're, we're, we're you know, marking the referee and stuff like that, the, the ones that we'll get, they, they, they generally look at you in terms well, of your marketing scheme. Yeah, you yeah, tend to look at your marketing <laughs> scheme as like, actually, I didn't notice the referee. Yeah, yeah. And that's what you kind of get. And if it is a case of that, that like, the game just flowed. And that referee then, oh, yeah, no, it's really good. You tend I to get that. really good if they didn't do anything. But they've, let, they've controlled the game. Yeah, yeah. They have uh, controlled the game from that point. So effectively, it's not... They've had nothing to control. They have they they they, they have uh, controlled it. They've controlled yeah, it yeah, themselves, like, you know. So, so the players have controlled it because they've got to play football. The referee's just gone. Well, there's a little foul there. We'll give that. It's only when the, the players can't control themselves that the referee has to get involved. And then they go, "Well, referee's busy because mm -hmm. the players didn't do what they were meant to do in the first place." Pass the ball around, put it in the back of the net. We don't have to do anything, and then everyone will be really good. Right? See, I disagree. <laughs> oh, should be. I disagree on that because, <laughs> like, actually, like when you look at the players and they're playing. And maybe you get a first tackle in or someone, like you say, not being controlled. The referee then instantly manages that situation. And then you don't notice the referee. So you don't notice the players, don't notice the referee. The game just flows due to the referee managing it. That's how I see that. Interesting. Yeah. I would concur. Yeah, I, I think I'm a little bit different. Just really quickly, I was watching the uh, Chelsea Tottenham game last night. And two, two, just after the first, there's two yellows for Dr. Ref Attitudes. And a guy behind me in the pub was like, oh, come on, ref, get a grip. You need to get a grip of this game. And I just sit there going, it's not the referee that needs to get the grip of the game. The players need to get a grip of themselves and their own emotions. It was a free kick which the referee gave, and you decided to get up and push each other. If you didn't do that, you then wouldn't have had the two yellow cards, so the referee wouldn't need to get a grip because you're not there to push each other. No, but like, is the contrast just because someone's expectation of football in the modern era versus the way it was going back in the days is different. 
Because if you think about it, the challenges that were accepted in the 1950s, which is what's accepted today, is very different. And I just wonder whether the people are coming from different angles when they use that common of get a grip. Maybe. 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 If we didn't have VAR at this point, okay, and you're in the pub last night, would you have probably spent 30, 40 minutes at the end of the game disputing all those decisions? It would have been quite an interesting conversation. But we still do, do we not? We dispute VAR rather than the referee's decisions now, don't we? True. Which is, yeah. which is like, I've I really enjoyed actually debating. You know. The most refreshing thing about last night, I don't know if you watched the post-match interview with the Tottenham manager, was they asked him about, oh, what do you think about the referee tonight? And he basically turned around and was like, why, why are you asking me about the referee? He's made his decisions. That's what we're doing. I get on with it. Why don't we just yeah. talk about the game of football and how we lost the game and we weren't good enough and et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, that's such a breath of fresh air. It was such an incredible comment. The decision, you're not changing the decision. So why are we here talking about it? Exactly that. It was almost like, we need to stop giving referees a jail time. Let's, let's just play football. Just get on with it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, was, it was really interesting. Really interesting. Talk football. Yes. Right. <laughs> Thank you very, very much. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank really you. appreciate your time. Thank you for coming across.